and welcome back to the Net Zero Business Podcast, the spin-off series from Edie's long-running Sustainable Business Covered Podcast. Coming up on part two of our Net Zero Week special, engineering firm Jacobs outlines its Net Zero Carbon Goal and how to approach the hotly contested use of offsets. View across the board was our priority is to reduce emissions at source and to do everything within our capability and our sphere of influence. We speak to Zalando six months on from its net zero announcement to see how the wider company has embraced the target and the language. We have to give different sets of information to different sets of, of audiences. And we speak to episode sponsors Centrica Business Solutions to dispel some myths that carbon reduction is a cost addition to a business. The business case can be positive from a cash savings position as well as from a carbon reduction position as well. So energy efficiency measures you know, will achieve uh, a drop off in the amount that you spend on your energy and will save you carbon. So yes, hello and welcome back to Edie's Net Zero Business Podcast for Net Zero Week, of course. Uh, this is a week of online theme content from Edie dedicated to inspiring and informing energy and sustainability professionals on accelerating net zero ambitions, even during uh, lockdown and as we kind of gear towards this new normal, whatever that may look like. Hopefully you've come uh, straight over from part one of this Net Zero Week episode, uh, and if you haven't, please do go check that out at some point where we had three exclusive interviews from some of the heavyweights of the climate agenda, Christiana Figueres, Paul Polman, and Jonathan Porritt, all on how businesses can build back better to help prioritise a green recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. If you haven't listened to that, like I said, worry not, you can do so uh, afterwards, um, after this episode, hopefully, as Edie takes you on a deep dive, uh, exploring the anatomy of a net zero target. For this episode, we'll be hearing from two companies that have set public net zero goals uh, and to hear about how they were set, what the areas of focus are and what's happened since. We'll also be hearing from our episode sponsors, Centrica Business Solutions, on how businesses should be approaching the low carbon transition and what the barriers and opportunities are. But let's get on with the show, shall we? So first up on this Net Zero Business Podcast special is one of the companies uh, that has recently reaffirmed a commitment to Net Zero over the last few weeks. Uh, engineering firm Jacobs uh, unveiled its new climate action plan that unveils its steps to reach net zero emissions across its operations and business travel by the end of the year. The Climate Action Plan commits the company to achieving and maintaining 100% renewable energy use uh, and reaching net zero emissions across operations and business travel. Uh, And then from 2021 onwards, uh, the company will target carbon negative status for um, those two areas of the business. Uh, Joining me to discuss the strategy is Jacob's Vice President of Global Sustainability, Zoe Hazeman. Zoe, thanks uh, again for joining me today. No problem. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Um, so there's a few interesting parts of the the action plan when it was announced on, on Earth Day that I want to get to first. Um, but I, I think a, an overview on how long Jacobs has been working towards this trajectory would be a good place to start. Okay, well, we um, announced our global sustainability strategy about a year and a half ago now, Plan Beyond. Um, and really the intent of that was to sort of set out broadly our commitment to sustainability as an organisation. Um, and sort of naturally falling out of that and material to our business was um, a climate action plan. Um, so that's been on the cards for at least two years. And I would say we've been working fairly aggressively towards 
the publication of the Climate Action Plan for the past 18 months. Um, and it involved like a number of stakeholders around the business as well coming together and meeting very regularly to you know figure out where we're at currently, where we want to go, um, and, and you know how do we sort of what steps do we need to take in order to make those commitments as well. And we've seen a real shift away in the business sphere from I suppose incremental targets where it's like we'll target a ten percent reduction by in the next ten years because that sounds nice to these more kind of scientific. Uh, base needs to push towards the Paris Agreement, but 2021 is um, it's a short time frame to to really kind of uh, transition to. How did you come to that that end goal for for net zero across uh, operations and, and business travel? I think for us, it was really wanting to have an impact straight away, and, and knowing that we can have that impact immediately um, through you know a mix of solutions by going to get, get aiming for net zero. Carbon, um, you know, we know full well that we're not, you know, our priority is to drive down carbon reduction, carbon emission reduction, but that isn't anything that we're going to be able to achieve overnight. So that was always going to be looking out towards a longer time frame and, you know, working with science based target initiatives to set what that is um, and also sort of expand the scope of that target as well. So that exercise in itself is something that we're, we're working towards um, and, and is going to be sort of a big priority. But in, you know, in the meantime, we're left thinking, well, you know, we don't want that to be everything. It doesn't have to be everything because there's a lot of impact that you can have by, you know, in the short term with, with existing initiatives and mechanisms as well. So in the short term, we very much want to sort of, you know, we're, we're planning to offset our residual carbon emissions to help us achieve that net zero carbon status. Um, and in terms of the quick wins alongside uh, the offsets, which we will touch on again shortly, where you know where have the kind of most aggressive um, decarbonisation efforts taken place for Jacobs so far across its business? Sure. So so far, like we have our data around scope one and two, our direct emissions, but also we have um, done a lot of work around our business travel portion of scope three emissions knowing that when we started looking into that data, it really dwarfed our scope one and two emissions. Um, you know, we're a professional services consulting business. So our scope one and two compared with other sectoral organizations, you know, they're not enormous. So as soon as you start opening it up to scope three, there you get some real, you know, a little bit more, you know, the numbers, the data that's significant and that you want to do things with. So business travel for us was in a scope three emission source that we could actually get some really good data around because we, you know, we worked with our travel um, travel agents and things like that to get that data. And it, it, it quickly materialized that that was like the biggest chunk of what we were looking at. And it's in fact 60% of our calculated carbon footprint. Um, and as soon as we were aware of that, that's where we sort of really focused in that and said, right, we need to take immediate action in this area now. So this was going back at least, you know, nearly a year ago now, we set a goal to reduce our business travel emissions by 20% by 2022. And that was on our 2019 baseline. Um, and so far, I mean, I'll just say that all of the efforts that we made were pushing in the right direction, but nothing has been quite as effective as a pandemic <laughs> to drop our business travel reduction. Uh, but prior to the, prior to that, you know, we were investing more in the technology to enable virtual connectivity. Um, we were we asked all of our senior leadership team to set pledges to reduce their own face to face travel 
and did a big com communications and engagement campaign around that as well. Um, and we also worked on um, partnering with vendors in our in our travel supply chain as well. So the major airlines that we were, you know, that we were flying with, um, but also um, the um, you know BCD, our travel agents as well, and looking down that value chain to even work with hotels um, and, and see where we can work with them to really sort of like drive decarbonisation through through our business travel. Sounds like the, um, the, the the target that you had set then actually kind of prepared you for, for, for the lockdown inadvertently. Well, yeah, I mean, do you know what? We never anticipated, obviously, any of this happening when we set that target. Um, and as soon as this all happened, everyone went, well, Zoe, you've met that 2022 target. <laughs> like, well, this wasn't the way that we envisaged it happening. But I think some of the benefits that we have been able to see, you know, yes, we were really quickly able to set up virtual you know virtual working for many of our employees um and and you know and i think in terms of the behavioral change that's needed to cut to reduce business travel then certainly the the travel restrictions have massively expedited that cultural shift of behavioral change that was needed to get us to a place where yes travel will rebound I've no doubt as soon as the restrictions are lifted, you know, it's part of our business, it's an essential part of our business to have that face time with, with each other and with our clients as well. But now I think we're in a place where we've learned a lot from the how, you know, how it is possible to work virtually and be productive and maintain client relationships without that face-to-face -face physical presence and without that requirement to travel. So, yeah, so it will be interesting to see how we do rebounds um, and I'm, I'm hoping it will be not to the extent we were travelling before before the pandemic. Yeah, it may it may change behaviours uh, somewhat and, and you know improve flexibility coming coming out of this. Um, and, and what about um, you mentioned kind of virtual uh, technologies was an area of focus. Are there any other uh, kind of low carbon solutions that you you were looking at um, to kind of roll out across the business, or, or you're still looking at? Yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll continue to look at, um, I think, the other area for us in terms of our footprint, or, you know, the data that we currently have that we can dive into and see where we can make improvements. The other area is our offices um, and really looking at, you know, what actions we can take on in the offices. Now, we lease most of our offices. We don't own them. So that sort of presents some challenges, mm -hmm. which I'm sure many of our sort of other colleagues um, across different businesses share as well, where it's, you know, when you don't own it, how, you know, just getting the energy data and, you know, that level of sub-metering data to give you the, to give you the ability to analyse where you need to prioritise your efforts to reduce carbon is a challenge. So, you know, we're, we're certainly looking at that as a, an area for improvement, you know, when we get the opportunity to renew leases, how we make sure that they are sustainable leases and we can work with that, with the landlord to, ensure where there's opportunity to for energy efficiency operational efficiency that we're really sort of harnessing all those opportunities as well and uh you, you mentioned offsets earlier and it's still well i mean it's kind of re-emerged as a, a kind of a hot uh hot area for debate really um it seems to differentiate kind of what areas you talk to if you talk to the kind of businesses and the csr professionals um, they recognise it as as a kind of necessary tool at the moment, um, and even you know even the science. You look at um, CCC recommendations. Uh, there's a big McKinsey report coming out um, today as well that kind of focuses on the, the offsets reforestation. They're they're, they're absolutely required uh, in, in a net zero world. Um, but then some green groups are rightly looking at some businesses, um, certainly kind of in heavy heavy industry, 
and saying that there's perhaps an overt reliance on offsets rather than actual reduction efforts. So, so you know, I'm guessing you have some sort of hierarchy and where do offsets sit in your overall strategy compared to the rest? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a valid point. And, you know, this was obviously, as you can imagine, you know, a hot topic for discussion within our internal working group as, as we came up with our plans and our commitments. Um, and, you know, underlying anything, you know, consistent view across the board was our priority is to reduce emissions at source and to do everything within our capability and our sphere of influence to be able to drive down those emission reductions first and foremost. Um, I think closely, you know, followed by that was an understanding and an appreciation that we can only drive that within our direct control and our zone of influence to a certain degree. And really, like the, the carbon reduction solutions are, you know, need to be, you know, they need to be scaled at large globally for us, for all, you know, all corporates, all businesses, governments to take advantage of that. And in the meantime, you know, there's still this sort of residual amount of emissions that needs, you know, that is an issue and we need to do something about. Um, so, yeah, so offsets, I think, we viewed as a practical and impact and impactful way to take action today and in the short term, um, whilst we focus primarily on driving down those emissions. No, that's, 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 that's fair enough completely. And, and a quick look ahead into the, the carbon negative aspiration for, for 2030. What, what does a carbon negative engineering firm look like? For us, it was really about putting a stake in the ground, you know, really setting out our ambition um, that, you know, we don't know what that looks like right now. And I think one of the things that's really important for businesses, for governments, is not to let that stifle progress, you know, not to, as, and, and that's hard for engineers because as engineers, we want to have the solutions and we want to, under, you know, and we are a solutions-based company and we want to have those answers and know those answers. So to recognise that we don't know the, what that complete picture is and we don't know what that looks like, it, and that that is scary for some of us, for a lot of us, but that shouldn't stop us or slow us down from setting out our ambition. Um, because I think once you set that ambition, then you naturally see much more action and enthusiasm towards finding a solution for it as well. So, I, and I, I actually believe that, you know, the world will solve climate action when the world comes together and all you know all of these solutions climate reduction solutions are so interconnected uh, you know it's a systematic solution that we need across the globe um so you know the i think i think a lot of the solutions that we need are already within our within our reach you know this is, we could probably achieve the bulk of net zero and driving down emissions through just scaling the technologies and things that are in, that we know about today, but just making them um, come up to the mass market. And and obviously on that, you know, policy is a huge enabler for businesses. It helps kind of set the long term trajectory of where they should be heading. And and you know, the, the UK government's got its its house largely in order in, on on the decarbonisation front. Certainly, with the long term aspiration for net zero by twenty fifty. Um, the the actual blueprint to get there is perhaps less refined at the moment um, but are, are there any kind of signals that, that businesses are really kind of waiting for from from government that would help them um, perhaps really start accelerating climate action um yeah i i think i think the thing that holds you know the climate the, the solutions that we currently probably have to to 
be scaled out to, to go out there is probably the financial constraints. So, you know, whether that comes through policy or other, you know, other mechanisms, I, I think that currently is the big barrier. I think the big barrier right now is asking businesses and governments to invest in something where the benefits aren't going to be seen too much further down the line. And it's that sort of long-term investment viewpoint um, that I think government could probably help more on that. Um, and I don't know how that is done, whether that's incentives or other mechanisms, but it's just sort of like understanding that action needs to be taken now for something that we're going to see benefit for in the future. Okay, though, that's that's great. Um, that's all I really had to ask. I mean, you've only got about 20 months to hit the, the, the net zero target, so I'm sure you've got better things to be doing than, than talking to journalists. <laughs> so, yeah, I won't keep you for much longer, but it's been a, a pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you very much. So thank you very much to Zoe there, not just for taking part in the podcast, but for also appearing on Edie's new Susty Talk video series, which explores how sustainability professionals are keeping work going during lockdown. Do head over to the Edie YouTube channel to view all those videos uh, from the series, including the free interviews from part one of this episode as well. Right, so what's up next? Online fashion platform Zalando has committed to carbon neutrality in its own operations and all of its deliveries and returns. The commitment forms part of a wider do more sustainability strategy uh, that was launched to the media at a bespoke event in Berlin uh, at the end of October last year, which I was fortunate enough to attend. Obviously, the current situation means there's no uh, trip back to Germany for me today, but I am being joined virtually by Zalando's Director of Corporate Responsibility and Sustainability, Kate Heine, uh, today. So, Kate, uh, firstly, thank you for joining me. How, how are you? I'm well. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be joining you. Good. I'm glad to hear you're, uh, you're, you're safe and well and, and keeping up on, on top of work as well. And we, we spoke to a few UK um, CSR professionals off the record that have been uh, unfortunate enough to be furloughed in this current uh, situation. Um, but to, to stick with the theme of this podcast, which is uh, net zero, and it, it's, it's, it's a concept and a, I suppose it's a bit of a buzzword now that's quite well versed um, for sustainable business. But the actual definition of what it means can vary from organization to organization. So as, as a company that obviously set, um, outlined that intention in October, what, what does net zero mean for Zalando? Well, for Zalando, net zero means a number of things. Um, at the highest level, our aspiration is to be a sustainable fashion platform with a net uh, positive impact for people and the planet. But perhaps a little bit more specifically, I think for this conversation um, around net zero and climate, um, you know, when we when we first announced our strategy, like you referenced in October of, of last year, we committed to being carbon neutral from the day that we announced it. So October 24th, 2019, <laughs> um, we committed to being carbon neutral in our own operations, deliveries and returns from that day forward. Um, so if we're talking about net zero, I think in terms of climate, um, that, was, that was really our big announcement and our big commitment. Um, but we also said at that time that we would set science-based targets in 2020, so this year, as well as reducing our environmental impact, for instance, in relation to keeping materials in use um, and for longer and designing waste out of packaging. So we also committed to being single-use plastic-free by 2023. 
So it's quite a lot. And I think, yeah, the, the net positive aspect of a business is one that's still um, perhaps in its infancy. So it's great to see Zolando um, taking, taking strides uh, there. And, and so you, you've essentially, essentially been carbon neutral across um, operations and, and, and deliveries now for, for more than six months now. So what's, what's that been like? Was, has there been any teeth and issues since you kind of went to carbon neutral across those areas? We, we have, we have been, um, you know, I think, gosh, issues. Um, I think we've accomplished a lot actually over the past six months across the board with our strategy. Some things probably more interesting for your audience than others. I know I'm very pleased and excited with, um, you know, internally we've set up a, a, what we call kind of a governance structure and ways of working within the organization to bring that strategy to life. Like you said, it, it is a high aspiration and it requires a lot of people within the business. So we have spent a lot of time organizing ourselves and setting up sort of accountabilities and a structure across business units since this is such a, a far reaching commitment. Um, so that's been exciting for me, but some of the perhaps more interesting things <laughs> that people will be able to see are, um, like I said, the carbon neutrality in our operations uh, and setting the science-based targets that we will be setting this year. We've also launched a brand assessment for the, the third-party brands that we sell on the platform. So that's the Sustainable Apparel Coalition's brand and retail module. Uh, assessing social and environmental impacts. We have released our supply chain um, tier one suppliers and disclosed um, uh, our tier 80% of our, our tier one suppliers in December. That was our first step towards transparency in that space. Um, but one of the most interesting, I think, especially right now, is that as part of our strategy, we aim to have 20% of our GMV come from more sustainable products by 2023. And just over the past few months, we've seen that we are actually now, um, the sales of our more sustainable products actually make up almost 10% of our uh, GMV total, which I think is a really strong um, sign for progress right now. No, definitely. Good to, good to hear. And you mentioned that the internal structures you're setting up. Um, and the reason this kind of sprung to mind, I did a, I did a kind of afternoon of webinars last week all about uh, engagement with internal uh, staff and especially for sustainability professionals around the job. And, you, you know, we've already mentioned carbon neutral, net positive science-based targets. How, how um, much knowledge are you having to kind of uh, give to other areas of the business around them? Or, or are you kind of translating that into more... Uh, easily understood terms for people that don't have kind of sustainability as a background? That is a very good question. And I think the answer is that we have to give different sets of information to different sets of, of audiences. I mean, we have pretty, um, pretty advanced areas of our business that have been working on um, climate or carbon uh, reduction activities for the past um, five plus years. So within our logistics network and um, packaging and customer fulfillment, I think our partners and, and real estate, our partners in those areas are, are fairly well versed in the climate discussions and actions that they can be taking. And 
um, as we start to branch into kind of our scope three discussions with um, a larger set of audience or larger set of stakeholders internally, we have had to um, kind of bring people up to speed on what the activity is, what the commitment we've made as an organization is and um, how they contribute or their, their business contributes to that commitment. Um, but in general, it's been a really fruitful discussion and our partners have uh, been really eager and excited to be a part of such um, a aspirational commitment. And I want to talk um, a bit about um, a story we covered not too long after that launch. Um, I mean, it was, it was kind of um, basically Zandi committed to placing solar panels and low carbon technology on all of your existing and new fulfillment centers um, by 2023. So it's a real sign that you are looking to reduce uh, carbon emissions and improve energy efficiency across your portfolio, which is um, great to see. But I, I think... Um, <clears throat> one big area of the, of the carbon neutral debate is, is offset. So how are you kind of viewing the, the, the rollout of low carbon and energy efficient technologies alongside the, the kind of current need to perhaps offset some of your emissions right now? You know, I think that the, the way that we're seeing it and the way that um, the business has been running, it's, since it's just been six months <laughs> since we, <laughs> we launched the strategy, you know, we're, we're on track with the actions that we've laid out. And, um, you know, and as you referenced that follow-up story that you did, um, the, the efforts that we have undertaken between October and today um, have been progressively moving us towards our commitment we have not seen any kind of pauses in our progress towards our strategy. I think if I'm, if I'm guessing a little bit at your question about kind of the time that we're in with the, the coronavirus pandemic and, and whether our efforts have been put on pause, I would just say, no, they haven't. Um, you know, our, we certainly have, have really taken a, a serious effort and first push uh, prioritizing our employees and keeping them safe and protecting our business and and staying operational um, but that has not actually stopped or impacted the progress on our sustainability strategy so you know we we have been moving forward with the efforts that we outlined there in terms of solar panels our commitment to um, sourcing renewable or carbon neutral energy and we will continue to use offsets um, in order to reach carbon neutrality when we cannot reduce or stop the the energy use um, at its at its total extent um, but the offsets that we will be procuring will continue to be likely forest-based or um, natural uh, solutions that are of high quality. <clears throat> Sorry, just coughing. <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, no, thank you very much for, for clarifying that, Kate. And, and you mentioned the coronavirus, and it's impossible to have a conversation um, with, with anyone right now without, without uh, mentioning it. Um, and you, it's good to hear that that hasn't derailed um, progress. And I think more broadly, some of the discussions I've had with sustainability professionals, a lot of them are, are looking at perhaps some of the similarities between um, 
I suppose this this government-led response to this pandemic and what will be required to respond to to climate change. Um, so even though it hasn't slowed things down, do you do you see any particular learnings that businesses and, and not necessarily Zolando, but just businesses in general could take for in terms of how they should be responding to future climate risks? That is a great and very big question. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been thinking about that actually myself because I don't, I don't know that I have um, lessons learned or some examples in there. But what I would say is that we have been discussing whether it's through um, a policy hub that, that we are a member of through the Sustainable Apparel Coalition or kind of like you said on these government interventions, um, I think that the real opportunity here that we're seeing, and again, I might not have the answers to it, but I think this is, this is an opportunity for all of us to do what exactly we've been talking about wanting to do, which is to decouple our environmental impacts from our business growth. And I think what we've, what we've seen right now and what we could see in the in the news is with the economic shifts and the reduction in um, maybe the transportation sector and kind of these stories around nature regrowing or coming back and how will we exit this pandemic in a way that we can bring forward as much of the positive environmental impacts that we've seen over the, the past three months how can we bring those forward with us? I think that is, we know that as Zalando, that is the holy grail of our strategy, is how do we decouple the environmental impacts from our business growth? And um, I think that that's, that is what we can all, or we all need to be thinking about coming out of this pandemic, is how can we hold on to the, the positive aspects that we've gained for environmental impacts. Um, and I do think that that is a, a question that we can, we can put forward to our governments and, um, and all of the societal players. Um, but we can also look at ourselves and see where the areas where we can double down and, um, and really continue the positive, um, the positive actions that we're taking during this pandemic, whether it is, um, carbon neutral delivery options and really um, trying to build those up going forward so that we don't revert back to perhaps carbon, um, heavily carbon emitting technologies. But where can we kind of gain those positive sides while um, having uh, healthy economic growth? No, that's a, that's a very good point. Yeah, and I think delivery is gonna be a key aspect of that, um, that new normal, isn't it? I think a lot more people will be working from home and relying on kind of around the clock delivery. So that's probably got an interesting implication for you and your carbon neutral um, ambitions. And, and just finally, Kate, on, on uh, COVID-19 then, um, I mean, I don't think it's controversial to say that Germany's probably dealt with um, it slightly better than the UK, but we've seen a lot of UK businesses actually really step up to the forefront and kind of reiterate their role in society through um, response measures. Has, has, has Zolando been been kind of focusing on, on anything in particular during, during this outbreak? Absolutely. Um, so as Europe's leading platform on fashion and lifestyle, 
we definitely share the risks and opportunities that the broader fashion industry has. Um, and we know that through conversations with our partners, um, Zalando has been less affected um, than many of the others in the industry. Um, and that our platform can actually make a significant difference to brands and retailers during this time. And so we've looked into ways to support that ecosystem um, and identified a couple, well, more than a couple, I would say, uh, a, few, a few different initiatives, but two that I think are, are really cool and I'd like to maybe just take a second to tell you about are the first one we call Connected Retail. And so that's, that's a program where we actually, you know, we know that brick and mortar stores have been adversely affected by these social isolation and social distancing efforts. And the, as you said, kind of a lot of stores having to close their doors. Um, we as Zalando have a program called Connected Retail and we've already connected more than 1,500 brick and mortar stores to our platform in order to offer and sell their assortment through the Zalando platform. Um, we've accelerated the initiative uh, to support brands and retailers to maintain at least a part of their business during this time, um, even going so far as to waive the commission fee for all new and existing stores that participate between April 1st and the end of May. So I think that's been a really exciting um, effort and opportunity to really to to offer um, other brands and retailers the benefit that we have of being a platform and bringing their products to customers um, when they might be spending more time shopping online. And then the second the second effort is is one that is. Um, a little bit, you know, it, so it's a little bit different. Uh, we have had a partnership with Ashoka for the past few years, and um, we have just launched together with them a new project called Change Makers United. And that is a program with the goal of scaling solutions for um, addressing the coronavirus pandemic. So what that means is that it's a collective effort. So it's not just us and Ashoka. We, we are a founding member, but there are a number of other participants as well. And it's an effort to support social innovators that are at the forefront of addressing some of the current challenges. And so we are supporting 20 entrepreneurs from that net, the network in order to scale and replicate their solutions, even across borders. So how can we take perhaps a, a solution that's been um, identified in, for instance, Spain, and then replicate that across borders within Europe to have um, a truly global uh, response to the challenges that we're all facing with the coronavirus. So that's, I would say that's a second, um, a second effort that is pretty exciting. Wow, no, great, great to see um, you've been able to, to respond in such a way. Um, Kate, I think we're, we're almost out of time for this chat, so I won't hold you much longer, but I suppose um, one final question is, is what's, kind of, what's kind of your key focus for the, for the rest of the year? And I realise that could change wildly based on the situation as it is, as it is. but uh, in, terms of, in terms of the sustainability strategy, is there anything you're, you're really focused on for, for the remainder of 2020? 
everything. <laughs> you're right. I think it, you're right. I think it will change for sure. Um, I think I mentioned at the beginning and it will continue to be a really big focus for us is we are uh, developing and setting science-based targets mm. that as you're fully aware is, is quite an undertaking for any company. And um, that is a focus area for us. And that is something that we will be spending a lot of time and effort on. Uh, and I would just highlight perhaps the second item that we identified in February is the launch of this pre-owned category that is set to come in fall. I think that's a really exciting time and um, you know, a way to enter into the circular business models that, that our customers are eager to see. So those are probably the two I would highlight for you. Great. Well, I'll certainly be on the lookout for, for the announcements as, as and when they're, they're ready. Um, so do keep me in the loop about that as well. Um, Kate, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. Um, I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much again to Kate and the Zalando team for taking time to speak to us. Uh, and as mentioned, hopefully it's not too much longer until brands are able to kind of offer those deeper insights into their plans through some more kind of bespoke site visits. Maybe next year, hey? So for the final interview of this Net Zero special, we're going to be hearing from uh, the episode sponsors, Centrica Business Solutions. Uh, John Hartley, uh, the Director of Product Management at uh, CBS, uh, recently appeared on our 45-minute masterclass on setting decarbonisation goals, uh, which outlined some best practice advice in what businesses should be considering when looking at decarbonisation strategies. So, uh, John, thank you very much for joining me today. How are you? My pleasure. I'm very well, yeah, in uh, enjoying bits of the lockdown, but ready to get back to work in some aspects as well. Yeah, so uh, hi, everyone. But a pleasure to be here. Good stuff. Yeah, I think, um, I think we're all kind of settled in. Most of the people I've spoken to in terms of the actual working from home aspect, those that can anyway, I think they just want a bit more... Uh, <laughs> A bit more, a bit more stuff to do outside of work. So I'm fortunate to be able to sink my teeth into things like the podcast to to keep me busy as well. Um, so I think right. for, firstly we should probably touch on the the unique environment that we do find ourselves in in terms of um, lockdown. Uh, as Boris Johnson kind of carefully attempts to to spur the economy, many businesses are are now probably looking at ramping up activities and productions to overturn some of the economic slumps that they've probably experienced and we're entering kind of phase one of the recovery plan uh, right now. Um, there's there's this ongoing debate that, that businesses will, and, and you know, perhaps fairly prioritize economic, um, you know, economic productivity and security over kind of the more long-term aspects, which is decarbonization. So how do you see decarbonization fitting into this current business agenda that we find ourselves in? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I think it's a real opportunity for us and for business to build back in a green in a, in a green and decarbonised way. I think there's some real uh, benefits to what has happened in terms of seeing the um, uh, a lower carbon world and seeing the effects that that has in terms of air quality, for example. Um, and also we've, we've seen that businesses have been able to change and to change their behaviours and to shift their business models very quickly. It is, is that kind of... Um, uh, change and agility that often we need to decarbonize. So I think there's some real positives that can help us to decarbonize um, in, in an accelerated way. But as you said, a lot of businesses have been hit really hard in, in different ways. And many of our customers from uh, uh, hospitality sector or leisure se uh, sector are having a very tough time and are therefore focused really on cash management and cost reduction. Now, I think 
something that we'll talk about as a theme today is that you can achieve both of those things, cash management and uh, lowering carbon at the same time. So I'm I'm really optimistic, uh, honestly, but I think we have to make the most of the uh, of the opportunity to to build back green. And just as an example, uh, one of the things that we're finding our customers are doing is shifting their operations around a lot. And so lots of their facilities are very busy one day or completely switched off for periods of time. And we're helping them to monitor the energy usage in those facilities so we can turn off things like heating and air conditioning uh, where and lighting where the facilities are are empty so that that's a way of lowering your carbon but also saving you some money in the in the short term so i'm i'm optimistic but i think it is going to be um uh, a challenge to make sure we build back in the right way in the next few weeks and a lot of the businesses that we've heard from at EDR, I mean, they're, they're leading on the sustainability agenda anyway. Sustainability is pretty much, you know, embedded into, into the heart of their operations. So for them, it's kind of been, well, not business as usual, but sustainability is still very much a, uh, high up their, their kind of corporate agenda, even during this period. For, for smaller companies in particular, who perhaps have less resources, both in terms of kind of economic cash flow and time and, and just people to kind of... Um, have look at this how how do they how can they keep sustainability and decarbonization near the top of their agendas um and in terms of you know what's the business case around doing so right now yeah i think there are two i think one is very short term which is that the business case can be positive from a cash savings position as well as from a carbon reduction position as well. So energy efficiency measures you know, will achieve uh, a drop off in the amount that you spend on your energy and will save you carbon. Um, electric vehicles, for example, for some applications, I think it's at a tipping point in, in some places where it's been more expensive historically and now it's cheaper. Um, but again, EV can be a way to save money now as well as to reduce your, your carbon. Um, the same for putting power solutions on your site, things like heat pumps. We're, we're working with a number of customers around the UK at installing heat pumps in their facilities where we fund them and the customer will pay less for their heat as a result with no capital outlay. So I think the business case really is is a, is a positive in terms of outgoings and and carbon reduction that's that's one part the other part is that i think that having an ability to track your carbon and lower it is no longer just a nice to have but increasingly it's, it's a right to operate so if you're in a supply chain where you sell to supermarkets or to uh, end customers who have a, a preference for seeing the carbon impact of what they buy um, more and more you need to be able to measure your carbon and tell your 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 customer the next part of the supply chain what your carbon footprint is so the business case for that is really a, a right to operate it's a right to keep going and if people aren't on top of carbon quickly they're gonna they're, they're gonna miss out in terms of work that's um, that's being won so i think we need to shift our perception a bit from business case from a just a payback perspective to more of a kind of a healthy business and a, and a right to operate no, that's a good point. So it sounds like there's a bit of a carrot and, and stick there. The, the, the carrot being that it's um, the, the upfront capex of it seems relatively more uh, accessible now for a lot of businesses and the stick aspect is, is that's the direction of movement across entire sectors and if you don't move that way you're going to kind of get stung. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Yeah, we, we, we spoke to a great plastics manufacturer uh, last week uh, for the first time. They provide packaging for food 
and those food companies were asking what the carbon of the plastic packaging was so that they were able to, to tell the supermarkets that they were selling to. And this company hadn't thought about that in, in that way until they kind of saw the need coming down the chain. So if that company can be proactive and have already got their, uh, their ducks in a line in terms of monitoring carbon and reducing it, then they'll, they'll be able to, to beat their competition. And you touched on some of the the technologies already mentioned, kind of heat pumps, renewables, uh, electric vehicles as well. And I think I think a lot of businesses, when they set decarbonisation targets, and whether that's a net zero target, a uh, science based target, or just um, just to kind of follow up to their most recent goals that perhaps isn't aligned to climate science yet, the 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 main aspect is is that a, a good target is one you don't really know how you're going to hit yet. Um, because you can't map it out all the way, but you know it's what you need to do as a, as a responsible business, which we've um, touched on. Uh, and I think that's where the technology aspect kind of really kind of holds its its cards, so to speak, in the sense that um, there's a number of technologies right now that are quick wins. And I remember from the masterclass um, from last week, the, the slide you had where there were technologies like LEDs and whatnot, which, you know, relatively mature and most businesses will be able to explore that relatively quickly but in terms of the the decarbonization pathways which they don't know how they're going to get yet i think a lot of businesses are looking at technologies and the role that they can um play so there are any kind of more advanced technologies that are kind of on the cusp of being market ready that could actually really accelerate you know the low carbon transition going forward yeah i think just one one piece of context before i jump into the detail of of the answer i think can't let the prospect of future technology put you off doing something now and, and that i think if you if you're always waiting for the next technology to arrive before you act you'll be waiting for a long time so i think it is important to use a lot of the things which are which are already viable in the market to get started even if you don't know exactly how you'll get to net zero in, in 20 30 years time i think uh, yeah it would be um uh, things are changing so rapidly i think action is uh, is important as well as planning. I think on, on, on your point around which technologies we see in the market are viable today, often our business customers think about uh, electricity provision, uh, heat, and then transport. I think in electricity, there's well-established kind of low carbon uh, technologies like solar, um, which has been around for a while. I think solar and battery and subsidy-free solar are now viable in a way that they weren't even two or three years ago. So I think if you want cheap, reliable power, um, solar and battery is something that you should um, strongly consider. And depending on where you are in the country, the, the business case for this stacks up. Clearly, you've got to be able to connect that battery and the way it links to solar to market so you can flex it in the right way. And so we spend a lot of our time on those optimization algorithms of when these things run and the revenue stack of what you can do to make it work. But that's something that I would encourage people to um, to look at. I think on the, on the heat side, um, we have um, a lot of work going on at the moment with heat pumps, which I mentioned earlier on. I think both ground source and air source um, high temperature heat pumps, we connect it to something like an efficient CHP unit. I think they can give you uh, heat and often heat and electricity in a, in a low carbon uh, way, which is very cost effective. Uh, we, we, we still have the RHI, the Renewable Heat Incentive in the UK, but it's not necessarily, uh, doesn't always need that to, to be viable. So I think that's something else to to have a look at. Um, and then on the transport side, I've, I've mentioned electric vehicles. I think crucially, 
getting infrastructure that allows you to charge them cheaply so that you can optimize when they when they charge and when they discharge is also important but again that's not something for the future that's something that that now can make sense from a carbon and a, and a cost perspective so those are the things that stand out across those across those three categories i think um that there's there's some nuances there there are things like um uh uh, green gas, which you can uh, add into a to a CHP unit for the more future-facing um, uh, ways that we think decarbonisation will accelerate. Things like hydrogen, uh, things like fuel cells, uh, I think are viable in 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 fewer cases now, but are probably more kind of in the three to five-year time horizon that they'll be um, uh, working at uh, at scale. That's. Good to know, and I think one one thought that just popped up to my head, and, and we are trying to are probably second guess in what's going to happen, kind of a couple of years time, based on this new normal that that we're approaching, and I think that that's the the physical operation or, or office space for a business might be kind of vastly shrunk, um, especially if if you know employees and 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 businesses get used to this kind of working from home and and prefer to do so i mean there's a lot of benefits for the employee perspective of being able to do so for example um and to the point where those type of assets on a certainly for kind of manufacturing it won't change but for for the office-based aspect it it, it might for example so do you see businesses starting to having to pivot to perhaps looking at what how these technologies can be integrated more domestically to help their employees going forward Good question. The answer is not not yet. Honestly, mm. I think the only the only exception to that is electric vehicles, mm. where a number of our customers want to be able to charge at their home or at their place of work. And what you don't want, if you're a company, is to be paying uh, everybody's domestic electricity bills and your central one. It gets very complicated. I think what you want is a single way of allowing your employees to charge anywhere, and that bill pulling back to you centrally and that's something that we're that we're building with, with with some customers now and given we've got one of the UK's biggest fleets through our British gas vans it's something that we ourselves really want and are building for ourselves as well and that's um, and that's something that that connection between home and, and the workplace I think is, is going to be super important um, but aside from that um, clearly Centrica have a, a huge domestic presence and we've got lots of products which we sell in the, in the home side as well so things like our, our hive product range but um, uh, from a business side we haven't seen that demand yet maybe it's a little bit too early yeah yeah no, definitely definitely on me second guessing what I think might happen there um, and yeah I so saw we, we covered the announcement uh, the Lotus and Centrica uh, partnership this this week as well um, which is that that more than a kind of ownership aspect of EV and how it integrates with home so I definitely see that being a a way forward for for homes that are able to do so. Um, so we, we covered on we covered the boardroom aspect and, and you know making sustainability priority. We covered the technology. I, I suppose to finish on uh, John, what, what would you say is is there anything else basically that's that's critical for businesses that are that are looking to to kind of set in or reach in uh, net zero decarbonisation strategies right now? Aside from those two kind of levers. Yeah, I think some of the the, the practical tips for. You for effective execution are firstly define a pathway where you break into chunks how you will get to net zero and it allows you to check to take to take step one quickly um, I think that's very important I think then declaring victory and showing progress at the end of your first phase is also important because people want to see this being brought to life 
be in a percentage carbon reduction or tons of, of CO2 that you've um, uh, that, that you've not emitted that you would have done otherwise. I think that's really important and helps you get buy-in from your business and from your customers. Um, and uh, I think another crucial tip is find a partner who you can jointly own the carbon reduction target with. A lot of this is is very complicated, and either as a business you have the own your own internal team who can really get up to speed on how you manage different scope emissions and how you link it to your energy, or you find some partners who can help you and jointly own that target with you. But um, those are the things that stand out. I think, uh, as you say, if you've got your the backing of your board, if you've got a good plan in terms of the technologies that you can use, and then you get those softer things in place, I think the the the, the solutions are there. The the economics make it stack up, and I'm I'm optimistic that the the people will be able to uh, to get to net zero, and that hopefully the um, uh, the COVID nineteen uh, lockdown scenario um, will will help to accelerate this rather than to slow it down. Good. I think we definitely all need some optimism in in these uh, uncertain times. So, so John, thank you for for offering your thoughts today. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Well, thanks again to John and Central Business Solutions for sponsoring this episode and offering their insights. To finish, we usually do a bit of news in brief for these episodes, but then we don't usually have free back-to-back interviews. Um, so I think we may just pass in, in the interest of time for this week. Of course, for all Net Zero related news stories, do visit ed.net and search via the Net Zero tag. Uh, it's positive to see that net zero and carbon neutrality and indeed climate science all seem to be key themes of the build back better narrative that's being discussed right now so here's hoping that this new normal that we're hoping to embrace is one firmly focused on net zero uh, more broadly a reminder before we do end then that the sustainable business covered and net zero business episodes are all available to listen to and download via spotify and itunes just search sustainable business covered they're also available via the ED website by searching ED Podcast. And that's just about it for us at ED for Net Zero Week. Uh, and for the podcast, we'll be back in early June. Uh, we've got a few topics of discussion lined up, namely the energy impacts of this new streaming and digital economy that we've embraced as part of lockdown. Uh, and we're also going to be exploring whether businesses will be focusing more on the S in ESG, which is society. So do be on the lookout for them. And until next time, goodbye.